So I went to several colleges and there was never like an editing class. So it's not something you necessarily go to school for, but I think there are skills you can learn in and out of school that can help you become an editor. Hello friend, and welcome back to another episode of Do I Need School to Be? A podcast in which me, Alex, is going to sit down with people in the creative field and I'll ask them questions about their journey, more specifically about their education, how they learned their trade, who were their mentors or who are their mentors, what books influenced them, and hopefully find some answers that will maybe guide you in your journey in the creative field. Everybody's different and we all learn in different ways. So of course, we're all gonna take different paths and they're all valid. In this show, I am celebrating any type of education, whether that is formal education, whether that is self-taught, whether that is the internet, it doesn't matter. We have so many options today and I wanna talk about it. So let's talk about it and let's have some fun together. My guest for this week, my guest for this week, what can I say about her? Aside from, she's pretty awesome. Her name is Stephanie Mojica. She is a book editor and a teacher, she calls herself. She helps people get their books out of their head and into the paper. I mean, how many times have you thought, hmm, I could write a book about my life or I could write a book about my journey. You probably can. You just need a little bit of help and somebody like Stephanie is who you need. She is a powerful Latina. She's a powerful creator. She has so many resources available that you'll find in the show notes to help you in your book writing journey. I mean, we're in the era of communication. We can do this and she can help you do it. So in this conversation, we talk about many things. We talk about how she got into writing, how she got into editing, some not so great teachers that she had, but she still learned a lot from them and how she uses the sandwich method to give feedback, which I think it's super vital. Knowing how to give feedback and have people accepted, that's a pretty cool talent to have, in my opinion. Well, I don't want to spoil too much. Here's my conversation with the wonderful Stephanie Mojica. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for being here. How was your day going? Good. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to hearing your story as a book editor. Let's start with telling the audience who you are and what you do. All right, so my name's Stephanie Mojica. I'm a book editor. I'm also a book development coach, but I'll focus on book editing. So basically what I do is I edit people's books. Once they've written them, There's we can go into it, but there's multiple kinds of editing that I do, as well as proofreading. And so that's the main thing we're gonna talk about today, book editing. That's awesome. And how do you get into this field because in, like, are you self-taught or did you go to school for this? How, because in, in this podcast, we want to talk about that exactly about education for creative professions like yours and try to break a little bit that stigma that you need to go to a particular path. So what was your path into this field? So actually I went to school for writing, which is a different skill from editing. They're similar, but not equal. So I went to school to become a journalist for newspapers because that's what you were supposed to do back in the 1990s. And while I was in school, I had a professor who said it was important for me to learn editing. So I did some editing for his poetry. He's a poet. So I did some editing for his poetry books, helped him type up some books. And so that's kind of how I started to learn editing. I've always been around words ever since I was a little girl. So a lot of people ask me to 
read their stuff, make sure everything's spelled correctly, etc. So I went to several colleges and there was never like an editing class. So it's not something you necessarily go to school for, but I think there are skills you can learn in and out of school that can help you become an editor. That's wonderful. I, I, I love hearing that it's something that developed in you and you had this passion since you were little. Do you have like a book that you say that's what kickstarted it for me? Or was it um, spoken word or what, what kickstarted your love for words? I guess I would say ever since I was a little girl, I was interested in reading. My grandmother, who's now deceased, was a writer, wound up becoming a published author. My mother writes. Uh, one of my grandmother's um, husband, she was married multiple times, uh, was also a published author. So I think I've just always been around words and had a love of reading. So, and when the kids were drawing pictures in like elementary school, I preferred to write. So I think that's basically how it happened. That's so cool. I, I would love to see a little kid that it's like everybody's is drawing and they're like writing. I think it would be such <laughs> a great, it's not very common. It's, it's such a unique experience. And then, so your family were your first teachers, you could say so. I wouldn't say that anyone necessarily sat down and taught me how to write right. I mean, besides obviously, you know, where we write our alphabet and, you know, things in school. I wouldn't say anyone sat down and taught me how to write. My grandmother did a lot more to creative writing than I do. I mean, when I was younger, especially, I wrote a lot of poetry. And, you know, so I wouldn't say it necessarily taught me, but I was around it. That's so nice. And so you go to college, and what was your experience like in college? So you didn't find a class that was editing, but did you then have to design your own education, or how did you learn the skills? Was it like trial and error? Would you consider yourself self-taught then? I would say I'm largely self-taught with some mentors. So when I started working at newspapers, we did have people who were editors, and they didn't necessarily go to school to be editors either. They started off as writers and reporters and then just kind of learned along the way. So at the big newspapers, nobody ever really asked me to read their work because they had people who did that and were very, a lot of them got very territorial and didn't want anyone else like editing people's work. But then when I started working for smaller newspapers, you kind of, everybody did a little bit of everything. So a lot of times I would have to read other people's work or like once there was a, there were three newspapers I did freelance writing for and the editor needed to go out of town and she knew that when I turned in my work, it didn't have a bunch of mistakes in it. So they paid me for a week to like edit it. So it's just kind of something that naturally grew. Wow. Just thrust it into the, just like, yeah, you know what? You got it here. And uh, you, you mentioned mentors, like who were your mentors? Well, I'd say a professor I had in college, uh, Gary Short, who was, uh, you know, well, he's still alive, but I think he's retired. You know, a poet, also taught poetry, had some fellowships for writing poetry. So like I said, I was his assistant and would edit some of his work. And, you know, he would pay me in Starbucks and a little cash. Um, and I would type up some of his manuscripts. And then I would just say some of the newspaper editors I worked with were very good and very open and didn't get like territorial because there's a lot of competition for editing jobs at newspapers because those are usually paid better they have more leadership role 
but there were some people who didn't act like I was a threat to them. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that happens. I think like, at some point, like people are threatened by the young up-and-comer, and they're like, no, I have to protect my territory. Yeah, I had some people who were extremely threatened and tried to do everything they could to bring me down, especially as a Latina. It was just, yeah. Oh, wow. It was like either predominantly white or predominantly black, or, you know, and there was kind of not really much of a space for Latinas. So there was some stigma around that as well. And did any of the people that were training you or around you were something these quote unquote bad teachers? Because I'm guessing there's a lot of feedback also to give that you do something and you get feedback from them. What was the feedback like? Because as an editor, your job is to give feedback. So who taught you how to give feedback? So I kind of learned as I went, like I knew what good fit feedback looked like and felt like, and I knew what bad feedback where you could tell the person really wished they had written the story themselves, because you have to understand that some, a lot of these editors used to be reporters and they didn't necessarily move up because of the love of editing, but they wanted the money and the title. So some of them, not all of them, please don't mistake me, but some of them, were kind of bitter that they were behind a desk and weren't out there in the street. So they would take it out on the reporters they thought were doing the exciting work. So I could tell when somebody was like just rewriting it because of how they would do it themselves. And I always have not been that kind of editor. It's not my story when you ask me to edit it, especially if it's your book or something. My job is to make your story look the best possible, not make it into my own. Wow, that's wonderful. And you were predominantly with young writers, right? From what I understand. Um, not necessarily. I mean, at the first newspapers I worked at, I would say I was by far the youngest. Uh, I started off, so my career was different. I started off at the bigger newspapers and as the industry changed and jobs became fewer and fewer, I had to go work at the smaller newspapers and that's where I would run to lot, like I had supervisors younger than me. <laughs> it was like uncomfortable for everybody involved. So my path was a little different. Like I said, I entered the industry at right before it started, I guess about five, six years before it started changing and people started getting, you know, social media was invented, you know, things like that and the trajectory and the everything changed. So it started off very differently and ended quite differently. Well, it's, st it's still ongoing. It, I think it's going through this transformative period. It's kind of like an industrial revolution when suddenly you had the... You, went, you didn't have like hand weavers, you had weaving machines and now you it's it's transforming. I wouldn't say it's transforming for the best, to be honest. No, it's but not. But it is changing. I've had people oh, contact okay, okay, me. Okay, thank God. I've had people contact me recently that I used to like, you know, interview at the last newspaper I worked at. And they're like, I wish you were still here because these people who are calling themselves journalists don't know what they're doing. They go take a couple of classes and they, you know, go think posting stuff online is news. I, I've had several people contact me like nobody is really learning ethics or how to investigate social problems. They just want to be the first to get something, anything out there. And it's not always correct. So I've had actually the mayor of cities of a city contact me. I've had like financial officers from like large organizations contact me literally 
just two weeks ago, somebody contacted me, and I haven't been working in a newspaper for six years, so people still remember me. Well, that's your reputation right there. People right, know, like, exactly. People know you. People are like, yeah, quality. Qual you always remember the really, really good ones or the really, really bad ones. Those stick in your head, and it sounds like you're one of the really, really good ones, but I am yes. not surprised at all. So one of my questions was, um, where do you see creative education going? So in the world of editing and journalism, now, and you mentioned social media, so it segues beautifully. People have so much access now. You can just open a blog and write. Where do you think it's going? Do you think ethics should be playing or will be playing a larger role in the future? Or are we going in the direction where just like mass producing of news? I see us going in the wrong direction. And this is not a political statement. Um, I, I honestly see us going in the wrong direction. Um, I see people who are calling themselves writers, journalists, copywriters, editors who maybe took a class online or read an article online. I see an environment where how you look seems a lot more important than who you are and what you do. I, I see like things, you know, and I hate saying this, but I see fake news coming up all the time where somebody like posts first, asks questions later. Uh, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any knowledge of ethics or even basic laws that should be associated with journalism. Like you can't just say whatever you want. I mean, I'm not that old. I'm 41. And when I was starting out, you didn't say certain things about any president. And, you know, I haven't liked any president for a long time, just for the record. But you didn't say certain things about a president. And people, whether they're calling themselves journalists or not, have no hesitation about saying whatever they want, even making threats, you know, doxing people. It's just very concerning. I totally agree with that. And please feel free to express your opinion. This podcast is open to all opinions, even though people say that I shouldn't be saying that. But... I think it, this should be an open space and we should be able to discuss these things. I see a culture that it's focusing on silencing people and then fighting mm -hmm. against the silencing, but then by silencing others. It's, it's this snake eating its tail. And but, yeah. by trying to avoid the mistakes from others, we're making the same mistakes. Just It's the same mistakes with a different mask. It's a different color. It's a different mm -hmm. generation, but we're making the same mistakes over and over again. And that's the problem that I personally see. And I see it also in the design field. I see that we are fighting for inclusivity. We're saying like, yeah, we should be talking about LGBTQ issues, including all races. But then we're also isolating people. Nobody's talking about accessible design. Nobody's talking designing for people who are poor. Nobody's talking for people who are not educated. We're just making the same mistakes, but with different faces. If you could today redesign the education system, what would you like to implement? What do you think is the key thing that needs to change? Well, I don't know if they're doing this today, but when I was in college, they did not like necessarily focus on on-the-job experience. I had to go focus on it myself and find it myself, you know, like internships, co-ops, etc. I don't know if the current education system does more with that, but I think it's important for people to learn by doing and not necessarily sitting in a classroom all the time. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, I was having a discussion yesterday in Clubhouse and we were talking about that, about the difference between experience and education. And educa experience is the greatest teacher, in my opinion. Yes. 
which would you say was the experience that shaped you the best or shaped you the most maybe negative maybe positive that shaped you who you are today I guess the first internship I did for a newspaper which was in 1998 so they need uh, they needed a newspaper they had a job vacancy for a newspaper reporter but didn't have the money to hire one and so I thought I was gonna be following around a reporter and doing stuff but they just decided to make me do it for the summer and I really kind of didn't know what I was doing and just had to figure it out And so a lot of that was positive. Some of that was negative because the person that actually made me do a job I wasn't qualified for loved to criticize me for doing a job that I wasn't qualified for. And he had some, he's deceased now, so I feel like I can say whatever I want. Um, he was a racist. I mean, he was a white, overweight, uh, middle-aged racist man from Pennsylvania who kind of acted like a redneck. And treated me like a piece of crap um and actually but the, uh, the other reporters taught me way more than he did so he was an example of a bad teacher yeah he gave me like the kind of criticism that i would never ever give anyone else and i've had i've, I've had other people I've, i've had other people tell me he was the best guy they ever worked for but you have to keep in mind that they were white men of course there, there it is there it is It, it's so situational it's so like whether a person is good or bad is so situational depending on who they're surrounded by yeah exactly so, yeah oh my, my god so so many thoughts i, I just don't i want to stay in the in the yeah, topic respect of your time yeah um so um how do you give critiques like how what's your method for giving a critique to somebody well i think you should use what people call the sandwich method you should say something good then say what you need to say that might be perceived as negative and then close it with something good. Um, when giving criticism, it's important to focus on I more than you. Like, I think instead of you did. I think that's important. I think, like, when giving any kind of criticism, it's important to give, like, a suggestion, not just, this is not good. Well, what might make it better? Like, when someone writes too long of a sentence... I'll just explain that it's unclear and it might be good to write it into two or three sentences. Oh, nice. So, so that's an example. Yeah. So you're giving the, you're, you're not, yeah. So you're not saying, oh, this sentence is really terrible. It's more like we could make it better. Yes. We yes. could like do it together or giving them what to do. Right. I remember I had this one teacher who I, he was a designer and I hated his criticism. It was the person that I knew I am going to feel like trash. After I talk to him, I am going to feel like trash. I'm going to feel like I am in the completely wrong field. I am going to feel like I don't know what to do. But then I had this other teacher that would tear your work apart. But then you would finish talking to that person. And you would feel like, I cannot wait to take these pieces and put it back together a better way. Right, exactly. Like, I cannot wait to go back to the drawing board with what he told, that he told me. He destroyed my work. My work was... A, in a million pieces but I couldn't wait it's that that feedback and that criticism and now you're working with people who want to publish their books and you're helping them with book developing right yes yes I'm developing their books helping them through the writing process and then uh for, for them as well as other people editing the final product so my question is what with the teachers that you have had and your life experience how do you see yourself as a teacher do you see yourself as a teacher And how do you feel about this concept? 
Yes, so I very much see myself as a teacher. So I'll just explain. I work with clients in a couple ways. So some folks come to me, especially coaches, consultants, business owners, and they have an idea for a book. They know if they write a book, it's going to really be like a very nice business card for them, which is a very trite way to explain it. But it's really going to increase their visibility, their credibility, and market reach. So a lot of people come to me and they want to write a book. Then some people come to me and they've already written the manuscript for the book, but now they need it edited so it can be published. So I work with people in both ways. Some people also come to me after their book has been published, especially on sites like Amazon, and they're upset it's not selling better. So I do things like change their book description or rewrite their Amazon author page. So I guess I would say the main thing I do is the editing and the coaching. So I definitely consider myself a teacher. I was just working with a client yesterday and was literally teaching her how to break down some of her existing content into chapters for a book. So I also have a mini course called Get Your Book Out of Your Head and Into Reality, where I teach people in about 90 minutes how to start writing their book. I have like 30 questions I came up with that really help people plan their book well. And then I'm always doing podcast interviews, rooms on Clubhouse, some speaking on Zoom for organizations like Coaches of Color. So I feel like I'm always teaching. That's wonderful. And yours, and when, which would you say is the, the most common mistake, the one that you have to fix over and over again? or help, well, I don't want to say fix, the one that you have to coach people through over and over again? I would say their mindset, and I know that's not necessarily teaching, but it, to me it is. Like, for example, a client I had yesterday was like, I don't know if I can do this, I'm going to fail, and I have to like help them see that you're only going to fail if you quit, and just help them realize that they can reach their goal, their dream, of writing and publishing their book and a lot of it has to do with how they talk to themselves and a lot of it has to do with what they tell other people about their goals and plans because there's a lot of naysayers in the world no matter how well-meaning they may be there's like folks that will be like oh you can't write a book you didn't go to school for that I get that a lot a lot of my clients didn't even have writing on their radar but they know that it's a becoming a very popular way to get their message out to more people as well as show their, vis uh, it, it show their expertise and increase their visibility. So I really have to get through a lot of mindset blocks. And do you think it's, with the current situation, with COVID and everything going more digital, do you think there is a democratization of education? I don't think so. I think it's actually become easier to get, like, and I mean, you have to also answer the question, what is education? I mean... It's not necessarily the letters behind your name. It's not necessarily a fancy degree. I mean, there's people with degrees and the best schools in the world that have no idea what they're doing. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I've studied multiple foreign languages in college and high school, and the only way I learned foreign languages is through self-study as well as having one-on-one -on -one tutoring online. So I think like the formal education system is important. You definitely want people who graduated high school. You want people who went to college or a you know, college-like program. But I think a lot of, at least for me, a lot of my learning has been on the job or things I've learned on my own. Yes, I love that. I, I love the perspective. 
think especially in, I, I think in, cre in creative industries like design or like writing and book publishing a lot of people say no it's like don't go to college it, you'll learn in the field but I love that you said that it's it's not about the titles you have behind your name but you need to get the fundamentals and the basics and then know the rules before you break them basically when I like I hire people to do my graphics sometimes or my website I don't even think about asking well where did you go to school what degree did you get you know what training I look at their work their testimonials references and talk to them and I mean I hired a copywriter the other day I mean she was somebody I already knew somebody I got to know on Clubhouse but I have no idea if she even went to college or not and frankly it doesn't matter to me I see the results she's getting I am a good copywriter, but I would rather focus on other stuff for my business. And I always wrote better for, about other people than myself. So I don't think about these things. I'm more like, okay, do I know this person or do I know somebody who knows this person? You know, for website or graphics, I will go to sites like Fiverr, but I want to see their work. I want to see their references and reviews. And that's what I concern myself with. I don't know if any of these people went to school for it. Yeah, and, and how they got there, that's their own path. Because we all have our own path. We all learn in different ways. Maybe, like, I'm a person that needed the structure of university. I needed to go back to school and get that system. But there are people who are more talented than me that don't need that. But in the end, it's how you work and how you develop yourself as a professional in whatever professional uh, profession you want to have. And that will be the, that the proof is in the pudding, in the end. The proof is in the pudding. Exactly. I actually, a few days ago, as of the date we're recording this, I was a uh, co-mod, uh, for those who don't know the clubhouse, like, like co-host of, of Room and Coaches of Color, where they're talking about whether you need coaching credentials. Like there's a lot of very expensive coaching credentialing programs. And some coaches think that's the only way they can be a coach. Well, for me, nobody has ever asked me if I have like a coaching certifi certificate. I have a couple, nothing fancy, but... I just don't think those kind of things are that important. And in some ways, some of them are just marketing scams. I, you know what? I wanted to ask you that. What's the difference uh, with a teacher and a coach? Because I share that. Um, and I've talked about this in, in clubhouse rooms. Uh, when somebody says like, yeah, I'm a coach. And I immediately think, what qualifications do you have to coach anything? I think everybody can call like you said it's a marketing trick almost that anybody can call themselves a coach today and I don't think they need a fancy degree but I do want to know what their experience was and if you're coaching me on I don't know elephant riding have you ever ridden an elephant yourself where are you speaking from what's your experience and what experience can you bring to the table or to the discussion Right, exactly. So, I mean, the term coach came from athletics originally, like, you know, the guy who's like coaching the football team, the baseball team, etc. Ideally, he's somebody who used to play the sport. Obviously, it could be a she as well. There are more women athletic coaches in the world. So I think the term came from that. But really, a teacher kind of, the traditional role of a teacher is they stand up in front of a classroom, they lecture, they give homework assignments. If they're a good teacher, they'll give you some good feedback, but they're not necessarily going to sit there and hold your hand figuratively through a process unless you get like a private tutor. You know what I mean? So all these terms can be interchangeable in my experience. So and there's a big difference between a role of a coach and a consultant, and I see myself as both. So like when I'm coaching somebody, I'm 
doing a lot of things. I'm teaching them things that they need to know to get to where they want to be. I'm helping them with their mindset. I'm holding them accountable. You know, if they get discouraged, I and this is where people start saying, oh, that's therapy. And it's not. I'm not dealing with people who have serious mental health issues. But, you know, if something comes up in their way, it's my job to guide them through it. And then a consultant comes up with plans. And I was doing some of that, say, my client yesterday, like, okay, this is the plan for your book chapters. So a lot of these terms are interchangeable. In a lot of ways, I prefer the term mentor more than anything else. But I do have to market, so I usually just market myself as a coach, which, because of the number of coaches out there now, it can be a disadvantage because there are a lot of coaches that are saying, I will coach you on how to have a six-figure business. But they only had a six-figure business through coaching people how to make a six-figure business, if that makes sense. They wouldn't have a six-figure business if it wasn't for being a coach. So I just... I just I feel like you should know, you should have some success in what you're coaching about separate from the coaching itself in order to do it ethically. But that's, that's my opinion. I, I love that. I, com I completely share that. And I love this idea that, that these, all these titles are interchangeable. Like we said before, like sometimes you'll be a teacher, sometimes you'll be a student. And it's always this continuous cycle of learning that keeps you open to the different experiences that will teach you. Well. Stephanie, I want to thank you so much for your time and for your patience. I, is there anything you would thank like you. to plug in? Anything you would like to share with the audience? Sure. So I would love to stay in touch with folks. I have a free book called Three Things You Must Know Before Writing Your Book. You can go to gettheirattentionnow.com slash book. Gettheirattentionnow.com slash book. If you're ready to get started on your book, I have a mini course called Get Your Book Out of Your Head and Into Reality. That's at getthatbookwritten.com, getthatbookwritten.com. As of the date of this recording, it's $27, but people keep telling me that's a little too cheap. So I may <laughs> increase it, but not for a few months. And I'm available for one-on-one -on -one group coaching, consulting, editing, proofreading, mentoring, <laughs> whatever help you might need around getting your book written, published, or reviving a book you've already published. So would love to hear from some of you. I'm on all social medias. You can find me pretty easily. LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse. I do have TikTok, but I'm not using it that much. That's just not where my audience is. But I really look forward to connecting with some of you folks. That's that's amazing. It, I will put all those informations that are going to be in the show notes. And Yes, I will definitely do my best to spread the word about how amazing of a teacher you are. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, you too. After Stephanie and I hung up, we got to talking about the possibility of turning the transcripts that I do for this podcast into a book, a book of transcripts. And yeah, I would love to send that to all my guests and be like, hey, you're in a book now. How fun is that? I will definitely look into her services when the time is right to do it right. I mean, I'm a graphic designer. I can't design a book, but when it comes to the content, I always feel paralyzed. Has it happened to you? Would you need some someone like Stephanie to hold you accountable? I think accountability is such an important service, especially when it comes to creatives, because we will jump from one thing to the next. At least I will. And 
maybe not you have no idea how many unfinished projects i have around me right now but this was an amazing episode i hope you're going to the show notes and check out all the services that stephanie has for you because yeah they could change your life maybe your next book will be done with her help so thank you so much stephanie for joining me on the pod Thank you, friend, for joining me today in this wonderful conversation. Like always, I'm happy to be in your ears. If you enjoyed it and that you picked up something from it, you'll find all the information to my guests' social media, to their website, to the best way to contact them in the show notes below, as well as a link to our website that has a transcript of this episode and all the episodes. Why do transcripts? Because many reasons, honestly. Like, not everybody speaks English as their first language or their second language, or their third. And a lot of people have disabilities and they might need this support. And a lot of people just don't enjoy listening to podcasts, but maybe they will like to know about this conversation. So you'll find links to all that in our website, which is again in the show notes, as well as social media handles and other goodies. If you wish to support the podcast in any way, just send me a DM because they make me happy. Or you can also leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform to help me improve the show and make something even better for you. And there's also a link if you want to buy me a coffee because I love coffee and it could also help support the podcast financially. I am thinking about making a newsletter to make sure that you can stay up with everything that's going on with the show and as well with things that are going on with my guests and just grow a little network of creative people sharing their journey. But anything you do to support the pod, I will appreciate it wholeheartedly And I hope you have an amazing day. Keep learning and stay curious.